Welcome to Chromodiversity, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity in children and adults. Hi, I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. Today, you'll hear a conversation with Kate O'Brien about her experience with chromodiversity. Kate is a neurodiversity specialist and educator with 33 years of experience coaching over 3,000 students, a master's degree in music education, and wildly contagious enthusiasm for helping neurodiverse and neuroatypical children toot their horn and fall in love with music. She also happens to have a relatively common but underdiagnosed type of chromodiversity with a wide range of possible variants called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Kate volunteers as part of a support system for the newly diagnosed, she's involved with clinical research trials, and is the New Hampshire ambassador for MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation. Hi, Kate. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, Elliot. Good morning. It's so wonderful to speak to you. Before we start, Kate, one of your superpowers is the ability to play almost any instrument. How did that happen? And what is your favorite instrument? Well, my favorite instrument, the one I received my master's degree in, is French horn. Uh, and when I started in fourth grade, I started on flute, but I wasn't very good at it because I was very young and I quit. And most people who quit band don't ever come back. But my choir teacher said in seventh or eighth grade, hey, Kate, can you do this? <clears throat> and I did this. <clears throat> and she handed me a French horn and said, go run with it. And I started learning then. Later, I found out that that's what I need to do with a lot of my neurotypical students is start later on when their developmental disabilities that they may have catch up with them. And then I just started picking up instrument after instrument, whereas I have deficits in some of my intelligences. I have some pretty awesome abilities in my music musical intelligence, and it comes very naturally to me because I'm a kinesthetic person. And then when I started teaching beginners and I remember remembered how much of a challenge it was for me, boy, I had been a horrible student and I had to fix it. And every mistake that I made, I found a solution for, and I was able to put it in my bag of tricks to teach to my young beginners. Um, and it is so much fun. I get more joy out of my career in a week than most people get in their entire lives. And I'm so lucky to have found this in my life. So you have a genetic variation or difference. Can you tell us what it is called and give us a little bit of an idea of what it is about? I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It's named after two doctors, Dr. Ehlers, which is spelled E-H-L-E-R-S, and Dr. Donlos, spelled D-A-N-L-O-S. Now, what this is, is, as you said, a somewhat common but very rarely diagnosed condition that is a genetic issue with how collagen is produced. If your collagen looks like a lasagna noodle, for example, mine looks like angel hair pasta, and it stretches, but it doesn't contract back, or it can break at the cellular level. It causes for the, the most common symptoms, widespread body and joint pain, 
partial or total joint dislocations, extreme fatigue because we're using an enormous amount of energy with our muscles just keeping our joints together, uh, and a great deal of other side orders like depression, anxiety, ADHD, and even autism. That's starting to get linked scientifically, and that is going to be a very exciting thing to learn about in research. One of the research projects I'm involved with will be getting DNA from myself, my mother, my son, my sister. They are my entire living bloodline, and we all have EDS. I diagnosed myself when I was 42, and I started having symptoms as soon as I became aware of myself, like around three. My earliest memory is having growing pains in bed and just screaming. But what they were is instead of stretching out, they were just breaking like silly putty. You know, the cells were just breaking. And that's one of the things that's happening with my son now where he's, he's growing, he's already five, nine and his, his legs just hurt all the time. And he can't walk around high school, which is why he's home. And I diagnosed my son at six, my older sister at 45 and my mother at 72. As I understand it, there are 14 genetic variations and they have found 13 of them, but the 14th one is the most common type of hypermobile EDS. Now there there are clinical diagnostic tests. It's called the Byton scale, uh, B-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. And it takes all of 20 seconds that any of the 200 doctors I saw could have done in literally 20 seconds. It's, and I'll show you what it is. If you can move your pinky back like this, if you can touch your thumb to your arm, and this has to be almost a 90 degree or 180 degree angle from your finger. If you can touch your thumb to your arm, if you have hyperextended elbows, and if you can bend over and touch the floor with the palms of your hands, and if your knees hyperextend instead of going straight. Um, so there's one point for each side plus one point for the waist, and that's nine points. And I scored eight out of, no, I scored nine out of nine when I finally was able to get in with a genetic specialist, with a geneticist. Uh, and when I brought my son in, she, she basically told us, you know, I diagnosed you guys when you walked in the room. <laughs> she was very aware of body movements and differences and you know, how we hold our heads. And then I had my mother and my sister go to doctors themselves and get diagnosed. And all of that happened in 2013. And that's also the year I had my brain surgery and spinal surgery for Chiari, C-H-I-A-R-I, named after Dr. Chiari. And that's when your brain falls out of your head. <laughs> and it's a, a common comorbidity with EDS. And it's when the cerebellum herniates into the brainstem and compresses the spinal canal. No, I got that wrong. Um, dyslexia also comes with EDS sometimes. <laughs> and I, I was diagnosed with that when I was 21. Um, 
when your cerebellum herniates into your spinal canal and compresses your brainstem. And I had a 25 year headache. And again, I went for, I, I went to 200 doctors or more around the country. And I was told I was faking it. I was a hypochondriac. I had Munchausen syndrome. Yeah. I was trying to get out of working, which is crazy because I love my career. Uh, and the, my favorite one is I was dehydrated. But the worst one was, well, since I don't know what's wrong with you, there is nothing wrong with you. It got to the point where I would kind of be in a spurt of action and go to every doctor in the area and make appointments and go there and request the, all the different tests. And then I would get so depressed that I would just quit and stay home in bed for a few months before I got back up on the horse and started again. And it's a good thing that I got back up on the horse every time because by the time I figured out that I had a Chiari, I had to actually forge an order for the right test, which was an upright MRI that no doctor would order for me. As soon as I got the results, I could see what was wrong because I had taught myself how to read brain scans and read peer review peer-reviewed journal articles. And I sent the scans to the best neurosurgeon in the country. And he told me at my consultation, if I hadn't figured it out, I would have been dead within a year. My cervical spine had started disintegrating and he ended up performing a craniectomy to make room for my cerebellum. He took that bone and used it to rebuild the top of my spine and then bolted my top two vertebrae to my skull. So I ended up an inch and a half taller when I woke up, but I also woke up without that headache. And I haven't had that headache since I woke up from the surgery. And that's been wonderful. When my son was born, he seemed completely typical. I hate using the word normal, but he seemed just like a very, you know, yep. typical baby. Yep. Uh, but then I took him to a birthday party and it was at a gym for gymnastics. And he started doing these crazy splits that I hadn't noticed him doing before. And then I started looking at pictures that I had taken of him. And when he would have his arms outstretched, his elbows would be overextended. Now, I didn't learn about Ehlers-Donlos until I was about 41. I spent a year knowing it before I was diagnosed. So I could all of a sudden go back and see the pictures of him being hyperflexible. There wasn't anything we could do at birth. There didn't seem to be anything we could do when he was diagnosed at age six in 2013. But now, this past summer, we became patients, or he became a patient, although it's a whole family affair, yeah. at Boston Children's Hospital, yeah. and he was uh, re-diagnosed, the diagnosis was confirmed, and we went to the pain clinic, where we worked with a pain psychologist, and are going to continue to do that locally, just in terms of how to live with the pain and how to 
function around it, which is something I've had to learn, but I don't know how, so I couldn't teach it. And the other thing that we're working on is kind of a rehabilitation course of action as opposed to a, a medical medicine pharmaceutical course of action. Hopefully he will start PT fairly soon in this area. We met with a physical therapist at Boston Children's and they gave us several exercises to do each day and we do them together. And the hope is that he can strengthen his core and strengthen the muscles around his joints. Ideally that will keep him from getting so many dislocations. Now there are all sorts of people who think that certain supplements help or certain diets help or, you know, and a lot of it, none of, yeah, it is endless and it's, frustrating because I'm sure one of those is right, maybe two <laughs> of those, maybe more, but it's hard to subject ourselves to one of these drastic changes without knowing that it's actually going to help, even if it seems to make sense on the surface. It's been a lot of hit or miss. And right now, yeah. unfortunately, our our biggest allies are meds and rest. The big thing that would have happened had I been diagnosed early is I would have been pulled out of gymnastics and ballet. I was hyperflexible, so people thought I was very, very good at gymnastics. Let's say I was a very enthusiastic gymnast as opposed to a very good gymnast. I would do back handsprings in my living room for hours upon hours, but half the time I landed on my head with the full force of my body coming down on it, which happened to be the exact wrong thing that I should have been doing with for my Chiari malformation. That is something that I did for my son, because after that, as soon as I realized that I probably had EDS and that he would probably be diagnosed with it as well, I yanked him out of gymnastics class. And if he becomes very symptomatic to the point where he needs the, the surgery, which is the only treatment, it's not a cure, but it, it's a pretty effective treatment. If that happens sooner rather than later, I've already lined up a pediatric neurosurgeon who specializes in surgery for PRE malformations. So as soon as it starts impeding his life and his daily activities, and as soon as he gets that headache, which he's had a few times, but just for a day or two, then I will know exactly what to do for him so he does not have to wait until he is 42 and get relief. It's painful and it's exhausting and it never ends. And the only thing that has come from it that is positive is I have more empathy toward the human race Mm. because I've met so many people who either have this or have something or just are dealing with life. And I can feel a lot more, more compassion for people. That's one of the reasons I volunteer with the newly diagnosed. Uh, The first thing I say is I believe you, I understand you, I validate your pain. And that is what I needed to hear so badly for those 42 years. And it's also helped me 
screen others. I'm, I'm obviously not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. For example, there was a woman standing in the CVS makeup aisle and I noticed her legs were hyperextended. Her knees were hyperextended. They bent back instead of straight or forward. And I, I asked her about a foundation color. And then I said, by the way, I noticed your knees. Um, by any chance, do you like throw your back out a lot or are, do you have chronic fatigue or a lot of body pain? And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I, I do. How on earth would you know that? I asked her if she would give me 30 seconds, 20 or 30 seconds of her time just to check for something. And I did the bite and scale, pulling your pinky up, it's touching your thumb to your arm. It's bending over at the waist and touching the floor with your palms. It's hyperextending both elbows and hyperextending both knees. And she scored a nine out of nine. I gave her my name and my email address and the website to go to right now, Ailers Dosh, or I'm sorry, Ailers-Donlos.com is the website of the Ehlers Donlos National Foundation. And another incredible resource is a Facebook support group that's called Beyond the Measurement. You know, and that has to do with the measurement of the cerebellum, but also the measurement of the angles we can bend toward. On the first day of medical school, doctors are taught, well, if you hear hoofbeats, then think horses, not zebras, meaning go to the most reasonable and logical and common answer. But we are the zebras. So we can always spot ourselves in like in medical buildings and hospitals. My medical bag that I carry around my records in is a zebra bag. I have zebra socks that I wear to appointments. I have a little stuffed zebra that I've named Justin Zebra. So helping the baby zebras is very important to us. And there are a number of medical professionals in that group on Facebook. So they do keep mm. us kind of on track. And you had asked about the connection between autism and ADHD and all of that with EDS. I can offer what I have found in anecdotal evidence. I'm really happy that I've started seeing this in the research journals. With EDS, we have faulty collagen. Our brain along with every other organ in our body is made with collagen. Like I, I, I like to say it affects you from brains to veins. My observation has been when women get diagnosed with EDS, it, for whatever reason, women are diagnosed more commonly than men. We don't know if that's because it occurs more in women or if they're more likely to seek out treatment. When the moms in my groups get diagnosed with EDS, a pattern emerges. Many times they'll find that their school-age child is being diagnosed with autism. Shortly after that, they get their children get diagnosed with EDS. And this is the crazy part. Shortly after that, the moms themselves get diagnosed with autism. And that's exactly what happened with me and my son. Yeah. And actually, my 80-year-old mother, she's in the, in the process right now of, of extracting bits of her life that were affected by her autism that was just recently figured out. And her personal growth is just incredible. So I don't know if it's exactly, if the EDS brain is exactly like uh, uh, the typical autistic brain, or if it just waddles, quacks, and 
swims like that brain, yeah. but there are definite correlations with all of these conditions. And that's not to say that all people with autism have EDS or all people with EDS have autism, but the statistics, again, um, just from what I've observed, many, many, many people with EDS also have autism. So how common is EDS? The, the most recent kind of official guess is one out of 5,000, mm -hmm. uh, which in itself is fairly common when you think about it. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to guess probably if you count the asymptomatic cases, I'm going to guess it's probably closer to about one out of 500. Uh, I, I've met too many people in, in random passing for it to not be more common than researchers have proven yet. But it comes in different severities. We just had a, a friend of ours die a couple days ago. She was on a feeding tube. Her stomach couldn't process food. There, her, she didn't get enough blood to her heart or her brain. She was hypovolemic. She was extraordinarily sick for a very long time and she died from EDS. And then there are people who have been diagnosed with it who, you know, go to the chiropractor to get their back adjusted once a week and they're pretty much fine. So there's a very wide range of levels of symptoms. In the last eight or nine years since I was diagnosed, they didn't have these genetic, they hadn't found the yeah. genomes. In 10 years, I believe that there will be some sort of genetic treatment for my son. And in 20 or 30 years, if my son chooses to become a father, I believe that there will be some form of some way to ensure that he doesn't pass this on to his children. I'm hoping that they can come up with something that just changes that misspelling of that gene. I'm not sitting here thinking, God, I wish they would hurry up. Come on. I'm thinking, wow, they're taking their time. And I'm really glad that they're going about this carefully. I have made the most gentle and safe home and loving home for my son as I possibly could to make sure that he doesn't have that variable thrown in to his genetic alphabet soup. I love the thought of reframing it as not blaming it on, but crediting a certain gene or an evolution for a different way of being. Autism is thought of by some people as the next, you know, higher evolution of human beings. Yeah. Uh, there are there are so many benefits to having a brain with autism and a brain with ADHD that it may have kicked in as a wonderful evolutionary process. Back in in caveman times, you know, I would be the one that would first hear the saber-toothed tiger or whatever was around at the time, you know, the bear trying to come into the cave and kill everybody. I'd be the one who noticed it like that. And 
got up and ran and gathered everybody to safety because I have raging ADHD. And that was a definite plus back then. And now with the world being so fast, maybe it has become an enhancement. I'm a music teacher. I, I did not like teaching band in middle school, even though I loved my middle school band members. So I opened up my own studio. And then later I opened up my own music school with 12 employees and hundreds of students. And while school was very difficult for me when I was younger because my dyslexia hurt my spelling and my writing to a degree, definitely made my math a challenge, um, made it hard for me to complete homework, you know, really had some bad effects on my life. Mm. In owning my own business and being a music teacher, there are so many positives. Because of my autism, I never assume that I know what a kid is feeling. So I'll, you know, if something changes, I'll say, Hey, what's going on? How are you feeling right now? Are you, are you frustrated with this or are you um, feeling good about it? You know, I, I, I will ask questions that seem obvious to other people, but aren't uh, with my ADHD. I get everything done. I mean, everything one minute, I'll be interested in writing out my business plan for the next five years and the next minute I will be in a place where I think oh I'd really like to clean the studio bathroom right now so as long as I just allow myself to be completely random I find that everything gets taken care of in its own time and I feel great pride with that so I embrace my ADHD quite a bit and I've also noticed that my neurodiverse kiddos will speak in the same manner. I have a, a unique cadence of, of speaking and a tone hmm. and word voice. And I have found that if I communicate really seamlessly with a kid, it, it often happens that they will end up testing for getting tested for ADHD or autism and end up having it. And that's a really valuable tool for me to have as a teacher. Yeah. So there are a lot of advantages with these learning disabilities that are just really disabilities in the academic setting. Uh, one of the eight or now nine gardeners intelligences is music, but kids aren't considered to have a, a learning disability if they don't sing very well. Uh, but, you know, writing and math are a different story. So it's, I, I've always found that very interesting. Another thing that gives us validation for a disease is if it's on Gray's Anatomy, The Resident, Dr. House, all of the other medical shows, when they had EDS on Gray's Anatomy, a, a girl came in who appeared drunk, who wanted a saline bag. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but I typically crave saline bags. Like at any given point in the day, I'll be drinking water, I'll be drinking Gatorade, I'll be taking in salt, but boy, I just want a bag. I just want to be hooked up to a bag. And many people do go for weekly infusions. Uh, there's something in that mixture that just makes us feel better. So she was in the emergency room at Grace Sloan Memorial Hospital. And then uh, one of the doctors 
reached out to help her sit up and she dislocated her shoulder and he was just mortified. And then she just kind of went and cracked it back into place. And the doctor just looked at her and said, you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking that is so wrong, but it's so fantastic. They mentioned us. We're famous. You know, this is, it does an awful lot more for awareness than pretty much anything else, uh, medical shows and commercials. Thanks for listening to this wide-ranging conversation with Kate O'Brien, a hugely inspiring music educator and chromodiversity advocate about her experience with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS. As you heard, although diagnosis for the most common type of EDS, characterized by hypermobility, can be established with a simple 20 to 30 second nine-point examination, it is often overlooked, resulting in long, sometimes harrowing, diagnostic odysseys. This matters because beyond hypermobility, EDS can be associated to a wide range of often preventable health risks and is also increasingly understood to be linked with neurodiversity, such as ADHD and autism. To learn more, check out the excellent Ehlers-Danlos Society website at www.ehlers-danlos.com. I hope you liked this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Please show your support by donating to our podcast today. With your help, we will ensure an easy listening experience so you can access engaging and authoritative information on common genetic diversity in children and adults notified to you weekly in your inbox. Tune in next week for another exciting conversation with a fascinating guest about their experience growing up with chromodiversity. And have a wonderful day.